This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Other people minded. We're looking at other people through an eternal perspective. So I believe that if every one of us plays our part, we can do something that will leave a legacy for eternity, give eternal momentum. So we're focusing on Bible distribution, making sure we use the Bible as a tool of evangelism. Uh, I have a number of Bibles in my car. Uh, uh, Wherever I go, I try to remember to take that Bible and give it to someone or to sign the card and and, and bless someone. Uh, Because I, I find that people are open when you give them a gift. People are open when you make contact beyond just trying to preach to them. And uh, so I, I meet people all the time and I'm just trying to be sensitive to say, hey, how could God use a gift or a word or a look or a touch to bring his love, his word and something eternal into the life of those that I'm around. Uh, we've committed to pray for the people that we touch. And uh, they are bound up in church, they're bound up in religion, they're bound up where prophets and uh, prophetic people are controlling them by, you can't do anything without a prophet. Something in your life, but not to guide you, not to lead you, not to control you, not to dominate you, not to intimidate you, not to take money from you and extract things from you, and definitely not to put you into fear. So some of those people need to be rescued from error, rescued from the falsehood, the mixture in our nation. We have a mixture in our nation where we have a little bit of Christianity and a whole lot of ancestral worship to go together. Hmm? Mudzimo and all the things that we practice. That, you know, uh, some of you are still practicing your witchcraft. You, know, you, you have a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of the Holy Spirit, a little bit of God, and then you go beat the grave. Ah, and you laugh at it, but it's not funny because I tell you what, what you're basically honoring is that spirit and saying that's now the protecting spirit over our family. Now, is that spirit the protecting spirit over your family? Or is the Holy Spirit the protecting spirit over your family? And the reason there is so much curse on this nation is, is because you've opened yourselves up to those demonic spirits and have not yielded to the Holy Spirit. And the church is as cursed as the nation because we do not honor God as God. And it's time for us to begin to honor God as who he is. And you want spiritual momentum in your life. You want eternal momentum in your life. But you cannot have eternal momentum if you're going to serve God and man. If you're going to have the table of devils and the table of God. So we have to draw some lines in the sand. We have to say, what what must we do? So today, the title of my message on our series or our, our month of eternal Momentum is obedience. And obedience, the subtitle is the evidence of faith. The evidence of our faith is our obedience. You know, we're always quick to teach our children, and we even use the scriptures, to obey. 
Well, a quote in Ephesians that says, children must obey their parents that it might go well with you and that you might have a long life. So we, we sometimes use that scripture and we expect our children to be, be obedient, don't we? Don't we? And the rest of you? Don't you expect your children to be obedient? There's a man named Peter Forsyth and he was right when he said this. He says, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but it's master. Who is your master? You know, we live, in a, we live in a very peculiar world today. The world is talking about, the world has adopted Satanism as its mode of operandi. Uh, if you don't understand that, the, 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 the whole crux of Satanism, the whole crux of witchcraft, the whole crux of Luciferianism is do as thou wilt. Do what you want to do. Do what you feel. Be the best you can be. And, 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 and so that's kind, of the, that's kind of the theme of the whole world right now. Hey, just do as you, if it feels good, do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And, and everywhere you look, it's just do whatever you feel. Do whatever feels good. Do what you want. It's up to you. It's a free world. You can do what you want. You hear all those statements? And it's in your television. It's, it's, on, it's in the movies. It's, uh, it's even taught in our schools. And uh, it's even in the church. The purpose-driven life. Hey, let me tell you something. It's not your purpose. It's God's purpose. And, we, and it so sounds so close, and it is so close to what God says. And, and, but you know what? I, I, I go everywhere, and I, and I hear Christians, I'm finding my purpose in life. Hey, I'll tell you what, you're going to be miserable if you find your purpose. But if you find God's purpose for your life, you're going to have a wonderful life. You see, and this requires an obedience to Jesus Christ. This requires a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, when I was first in the ministry... Well, first of all, open your Bibles. I'd like you to just look at James. Uh, because in James chapter 2 and verse 26, we, we, we begin to understand that faith is really incomplete. Faith is incomplete without obedience. And, and, and there are many people today, they say, oh, I have faith in Jesus. Well, but not faith alone in Jesus. We have faith in Jesus until it's uncomfortable. We have faith in Jesus until I do my own thing. We have faith in Jesus until, uh, you, you know, we have caveats. We, he's a preference, not a conviction. But in James chapter 2 and verse 26, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's just say that together. Say, Say it together with me. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You know, when I was younger in the ministry, I would go all over then Rhodesia and then later on Zimbabwe. And I had a message that I entitled, Trust and Obey, Trust and Obey. I had a sequel to it. So if I'd go to a conference, I'd preach trust and obey in the morning. And in the evening, I'd preach believe and receive. You know, and uh, I could tell you all kinds of stories about believe and receive and, and, trust, and trust and obey. But uh, one of the great keys to being 
a believer is our aspect of obedience. You see, when we believe or when we trust God with all of our heart, that means that we will keep or that we will obey his commandments. If we trust him, we obey him. If we trust him, we obey him. And I'm, tr- I, I, I'm trying to deal with a theology that's crept into the church today that basically says that God does it all for us. That, hey, as long as you just accept Jesus, God takes care of the rest. And, you know, there's, there's a truth that God's working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Having begun a good work in you, he'll bring it to completion. But the fact of the matter is there's certain things that he requires of you and I to do. In fact, I think there's more that he requires of us to do than we sometimes want, <laughs> quite frankly. Look at James chapter 2. Stay there in James Verse 14 through 19. What does it profit, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food and One of you say to them, depart in peace, be warm, be filled, notwithstanding that you give him or give them those things that are needful for the body. What does it profit? Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show you my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God and thou doest well, but the devils also believe and tremble. Now, you see, this is a little allegory. It's a little story. We see here James is saying, listen, what good is it for you to tell somebody? And he's telling this story to relate to faith. Hey, be clothed and be fed when they're destitute of daily food and clothing. He says, if it's within your power to help them, help them. He says, but your faith is shown by your works, not by your prayer. That's why I carry all my $2 bond notes in my car. And everywhere I go, I, I do something. Because it's not enough for me to be the pastor of the church. It's not enough for me to be a man of God. It's not enough for me to be a Christian and not try to touch people wherever I go. Because just to pray for them or just to bless them isn't enough. But that's not the point. That's not what he's talking about. That's, that's the illustration. But what he's really saying is, as, as, as we look at the scripture, he says, even so, if faith doesn't have corresponding action, if faith doesn't have works, it is dead by itself. So when you tell me I have faith, but I can't see the corresponding actions, and what are those corresponding actions? Well, the corresponding action to faith is obedience to the word of God. And it's not enough just to believe in God. There are many people who say, I believe in God. Our president got up on, on, on international news the other day and said, we're all Christians. My wife and I are Christians. No, I'm sorry. You can say you're a Christian and you may be a Christian, but I'll tell you what, your act, 
positivity does not portray Christianity. So where do we draw the line? Our Christianity can't be in lip service. 85% of Zimbabweans declare that they're Christians. But you can't tell me that we're acting like Christians. Every politician, when pinned into a corner, will say yes, and he'll give the right mission school answer. But it's not a living faith, and he's not obedient to the gospel. You cannot be robbing from the fiscus of the nation and call yourself a Christian. You cannot be a civil servant and use your office only to expand your empire. That's like a pastor using the church to make money. You are not for me to make money. You cannot be my source. I may derive a benefit, but I can tell you what my benefit is and it's in the AGM every year. But I'm not going behind your backs and stealing the offerings for my own good or fleecing the flock for my own good. The church is God's inheritance. The church is God's heritage. I am simply a shepherd of the church. I must be obedient and must be an example to you of how to walk by faith. I do that very, very, with much trepidation, trepidation in my heart because there's times I don't feel, to be honest with you, that I am worthy of this calling. No man takes this calling upon himself. No man takes this honor upon himself. So what is our walk? It's a walk of being obedient to what Jesus told us to be and told us to do. And it's not just believing. Because even the demons believe and tremble. Devils believe that Jesus is Lord. Devils believe that Jesus is Savior. And they tremble because of it, because he's not their savior. Thank you for that one amen, because I tell you, I thought it could be a hard crowd this morning, hey? So it's not enough just to believe in God. We must also obey the Lord Jesus, because obedience always follows genuine faith. Look, Abraham, the Lord commended Abraham and he commanded him. He said, Abraham, leave your country and go to one I will show you. Abraham didn't just believe, he put his faith into action. He left his mother and father. He left a beautiful city, a big city. This city was a cosmopolitan city and he went to a God-forsaken part of the world called Canaan land, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. 
In Romans chapter 4, verse 20, the Bible says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, strong in faith, giving glory to God. What made him strong in faith? His obedience. He obeyed God. Your faith is earmarked by what you do. If God asks you to do something, don't acknowledge it, do it. Is anybody listening? Later on, God asks Abraham to offer up his son Isaac on an altar. Abraham obeyed, believing that God could even raise his son from the dead. James 2, 21, look what it says. Verse 21 through 24. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Wasn't he justified by his obedience, his works, when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Well, that's a powerful verse. That made perfect, it means to be made complete, not lacking. How do we become made complete? How do we become not lacking as believers? By obeying God, by obeying Jesus, what he tells us to do. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. You see, the Bible says that these acts of obedience were counted to Abraham as righteousness or for righteousness for him. And you can go through the whole Old Testament. It just talks about that Abraham, faithful Abraham, was made righteous through his obedience. And I grew up, my mom, uh, we, we grew up as strong Catholics and uh, you know, one of the things my mom taught us was about obedience. And it was, there was no such thing as just obedience. It was always instant obedience, instant obedience. And uh, that came from a man named Thomas Akempis. And, and Thomas Akempis was a, a Catholic monk or priest. And, and he used to say this, he says, instant obedience is the only kind of obedience that there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Whoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from grace. You know, there's a truth in that. See, God requires something of his people. God requires something of mankind. This isn't just greasy grace that you do whatever you want to and then, hey, God understands. It's all right. You can just do what you want to and God will overlook it. That's not how this works, folks. God requires of his people their obedience. And see, we demonstrate our faith in God by walking in obedience to him. And that's how we participate in Abraham's blessing. Abraham's blessings are ours, not because of what Abraham did, but because we partake the same way in which he did through obedience Jesus, he demonstrated a life of obedience. Of obedience, uh, He's our example. So let's look at him for a second. In Hebrews, the fifth chapter, 
Verse 7, the Bible says, Who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he was the son of God, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. That verse is loaded, folks. Here we see Jesus, who in his flesh, as the son of man, offers up prayers with crying and weeping and tears because he is fearful of what is gonna happen to his flesh, but he's more fearful of God. And the Bible says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He's suffering in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating great drops of blood, saying, God, if it's within your power, take this from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, I'm going to tell you, to obey sometimes is painful. And there are many Christians who disobey thinking that asking for permission is better than asking for, or asking forgiveness is better than asking for permission. Knowing that they're disobeying. And we have, we have stories throughout the Bible that warn us about that. Saul being one of them, King Saul, disobeyed God, disobeyed him. And yet in his heart justified that, hey, I'm doing something good anyway. I'm not gonna kill the king because after all, I want everybody to see that I crushed him. And I'm not gonna kill the best of the lambs because, well, the people said it'd be good for offerings and sacrifice. But what does the prophet say? The prophet says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Some of you try to make up in sacrifice what you've lost through obedience. Some of you think that if you come and lay on the carpet here for an hour or two or a month or a, or a year, weeping and bawling and squalling, God's gonna hear you. No, God's not interested in your balls and squalls. He's interested in your obedience. You can't change God through your prayer meeting. God doesn't change. Your prayer meeting is to change you. And if your prayers are not leading you into obedience, then why are you praying? Tap your neighbor, say, pastor's digging at me today. Just, he's, just tell him, he's digging at me today. You see, I love Jesus. Jesus cries out to his heavenly father. He knows that his father's able to save him. Even on the cross, he said to one of the, 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 to one of the uh, thieves on either side of him, he says, if I wanted to, don't you think I could call a legion of angels and they take me off this cross? He said, don't you understand who I am? Nevertheless, 
not my will. Let me do what I need to do to be obedient and learn obedience through the things I suffer. Notice that Jesus, the Bible says, was made perfect. He was made perfect through his obedience. That word perfect means to be complete, fulfilled, finished. See, we know that Jesus was sinless, but he was perfected by completing his walk of obedience. By being obedient, he became the high priest. He became the author of eternal salvation for all that obey him. That's where our obedience comes in. Our obedience is to obey him, that we may be partakers of his divine nature, that we may be partakers of what he purchased for us through his obedience. Hebrews says this, in Hebrews 5 and verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all of them that obey him. Now, I don't have a lot of time this morning, but there are a, a, a lot of verses. Let me just run through a few of them that are connected, that connect our faith with our obedience, connect how we obey with, uh, with our faith, okay? Or, or, or our actions is another way of saying obedience. First Timothy 4, verse 16, take heed to yourself and unto the doctrine, that is the teaching of the church. Continue in them. For in doing this, you shall both save yourself and them that hear thee. What does it mean to continue in the doctrine? Hey, listen, we need to continue in the word of God. We need to continue with sound doctrine. We need to continue with good teaching. We need to make sure that we're obeying the Bible and not some fabricated thing that's out there. All this self-help gospel, I'm not sure it's helping us. I think we need to go back to the doctrine, the Bible, the word of God. And obey the word. How many of you know that there's two kinds of word that you get? There's actually three or four, but the two I want to talk about today is you get the logos word. You get the word that you read every day and the, you study and, 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 and knowledge. And, and that's a great understanding that God has for you. But then there comes the word that God asks you to obey. It's the revealed word, the rhema, the word that comes and uh, enlightens your eyes, your hearts, your mind. When God moves on you that way, he wants you to obey him. And when you obey that doctrine, when you obey that word, it produces something in you. And it produces perfection. It begins to cause you to be perfected. And usually it's pretty painful. Tap your neighbor and say, I think I know what he's talking about. Look, look, look here's, how, here's how Timothy described it. He says, I have fought the good fight. Or Paul describes it to Timothy. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Boy, I'll tell you what, if anything at the end of my life, I want to be able to say that. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. But, but you know, even this guy said, in another passage of scripture, he said, he says, you know, I'm a little bit fearful that having preached to others, I myself become a castaway. How, how, do, how do you have that dichotomy going on in your life? I'll tell you how. Because it hinges upon your obedience. 
It hinges upon your faith. And faith and obedience, in this case, are synonymous. Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints, the perseverance of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This is the book of Revelation. It says, you know, Jesus said, will I find faith when I come back to earth? He says, this is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. What is the faith of Jesus? The faith of Jesus is to do his father's good pleasure. I, know, I don't do anything except I see my father do it. I don't say anything except I hear my father say it. He has an attitude, an action of obedience. He, through obedience, and that's for you and I too. Hebrews 6.12, that you be not slothful. That word slothful means idle. Don't be idle. Don't just be sitting around doing nothing. But followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How how many of you know to be obedient sometimes it takes patience? To obey takes patience. What, What is sin in the first place? For the most part, sin is gratifying self at the expense of time. Getting through a shortcut, what should have taken you. Well, how many, how many businesses do you know that took the shortcut and they aren't a business anymore? They went and got the money, but they didn't know how to use the money. How many farmers went and got a farm, but didn't know how to farm? You, listen, you can appropriate anything. But that doesn't mean that you are capable through faith and patience to manage what you have. But God will teach you and through faith, through study, through purpose, through patience, through integrity, through obedience, he'll lead you into your blessing, he'll lead you into prosperity and he'll perfect the work he began in you. But how many of us are short-circuiting our perfection? through the desire to have immediately what should take over a lifetime. If you can't say amen, say ouch. (laughs) Obedience will always be tested. Obedience will always be tested. James 1, verses 3 through 4, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. God wants you to be perfect, entire, and wanting nothing. But we keep short-circuiting the process because we disobey, we disobey, we disobey, and then we want the blessings of obedience. Romans 8, 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Listen, when you're obeying, it suffers. You suffer through obedience for a short time. But the glory that will be revealed in you is much, much greater. Does anybody understand? You know, when confronted with suffering, the apostle Paul, or uh, I mean Peter, comforted those that he led. In, in 1 Peter 1, 7, he says that the trial of your faith 
What? Your obedience, the, the, this trial of you obeying God and, and, and operating by faith. The trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and the honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Guys, I'm, I'm sorry, there, there may be a testing and a trying to live by faith that doesn't bring comfort in the short term. You stand for righteousness and, and you may be mocked. In fact, the Bible guarantees that we're going to suffer, but we don't suffer alone. The Bible says that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I am really concerned at Christians that I see that aren't suffering any persecution, aren't suffering any kind of reproach. It's just all this message of, ooh, we're blessed. Everything's a blessing. Everything, you know, when I gave my life to Jesus, my life just got so good, it got better. Everything was perfect. Really? Because I can tell you something, that's not how my life works. In fact, I find myself constantly juxtaposed be standing and identifying with Christ and identifying with light and identifying and exposing the deeds of darkness. And when you expose the deeds of darkness, when you stand for light, you are not going to be liked by those that are practicing darkness. But my job is not to convict them of sin. My job is to preach the gospel. So is yours. To so live before men that they see my Father in heaven and want to desire him. But we're coming to an age now where men are rejecting God and they are haters of God and haters of those who love God. You see, the, the ultimate indicator of our faith you know, as to whether we love the Lord our God with our whole heart is really our willingness to obey him and our willingness to keep his commandments with or without adversity in good times and in bad times, in difficult times and in the good times. 1 John 2 and verse 3 says, and hereby we know that we know him. Here's how we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, if we obey his commandments. You see, this kind of faith and obedience is not you and I striving to follow a list of rules and struggling really hard in our own efforts. No, 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 no. You know, when God has first placed his love in your heart, shed his love abroad in your heart, and you really are walking with him, obeying his voice will follow naturally out of our love for him. That's basically the crux of the message today. That's what I wanted you to get. I wanted you to understand that God is really interested in your obedience. God really wants us to obey him. If you work on anything in your Christian walk, if you work on anything at all, 
Study to be obedient. Instantly. When God says it, do it. Because it begins to unlock the blessings of God. Now, let me take you one step further. Can I just give you a quick Bible study? Take notes now. You need notes now. You're going to take notes. Because I want to talk to you about what it means when we lead people to Jesus. Not only for you to be obedient, but did you know that it takes people to obey in order to be saved? Oh, salvation doesn't just happen. Salvation requires the, the activity of the person being saved. They must obey the gospel. And the pattern of the scripture is repent, believe, and be baptized. Now, in the church today, we're going around talking about, hey, just believe and be baptized. Or believe and become a part of us. Believe in Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. You can't just believe in Jesus without having, first of all, seen your need for him and repenting of the thing that's kept you from God, kept you from him. You must repent of your sin. And to repent means I'm going to leave sin. For some people, they've never heard this gospel before. But see, if obedience to the gospel is not, is not essential, then we have to consider the consequences of that non-essentiality. Matthew 22, I've got a bunch of scriptures, so write these down, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if love is the greatest of all commands, do we believe that? All right. If obeying commands is not necessary to salvation, then love isn't necessary. Does that make sense? If obeying commands isn't necessary, then love is not necessary. Look again, 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. You think I'm speaking in tongues, don't you? Anathema, Maranatha. Anathema simply means this. Let him be cursed. Let him be cut off from God. If he doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, let him be cut off from God. Then the next word, Maranatha, says, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Acts 17.30. And the times of this ignorance, at, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at or And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. God used to wink at our sin. And God has winked at the sins of this nation for a long, long time. Let me tell you something. But he's commanding you and I. And we need to lead people to a place of repentance. <laughs> come on, come on. This isn't that hard. Repentance is a command. Repentance is a command. If keeping commands is not necessary, then repentance isn't necessary. It's not necessary for salvation. So what we're saying is either the command needs to be kept or there's another way for salvation. Well, I just think if you just love God, you can go to heaven. No, that's not what the Bible says. 
The Bible says that we must repent of our sinful ways. Now you're here to help people come to know Jesus. This is missions month. Let's make sure we're leading them the right way. Is this helping anybody? Look at Acts 22, 238. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then you shall receive the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted. What comes first? Repent, then be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Look at 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some may count slackness. But is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. Well, I'll tell you what, somebody came to me the other day and they said, Oh, I wish Jesus would come back. I'm saying, I hope he doesn't. Because I want him to be long suffering so that you and I can all come to repentance. So that more people could come to repentance. If he came back now, how many people would end up in hell? So why don't we get busy snatching people out of hell? Amen? Here's another aspect of coming to Christ that's important. Your confession. Romans says this, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. For with the heart a man believeth unto, sal- unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, confession with the mouth is a command. If obeying commands is not essential to salvation, then confession is not essential. Yet the Bible says it is essential. And it's not just an inner act. That's why when you talk to somebody, say, have you accepted Jesus? My religion's personal. No, it is not. It is not. The Bible says if you're not willing to confess Jesus in public, that he will reject you in public. The Bible says it's essential. It's like baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of the inward. It's a physical action and it is essential to salvation. Once you've repented, once you've confessed your sins, once you've asked Jesus and confessed him as Lord and Savior, after he's come into your life, the next step is to be baptized as an outward sign to everybody that I want everybody to know that I'm identifying with Christ. Matthew 10 says it this way, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, him also will I deny before my Father who's in heaven. John 1, 20, 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love each other as he gave us commandment. 
What is his commandment? Believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's a commandment. John 6, 28 and 29. Then they said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Good question. Jesus answered and said to them in verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he sent. What is the work of God? Everybody says, oh, I want to do the work of God. I want to what is the work of God? Believe on him he sent. These are the works of God. And help others to believe on the same Lord Jesus Christ. I'm making appeals to you today. You see, even faith is a command. Faith is a command. It is a work. Faith is a work that God tells people to do. If works and obedience are not necessary, then faith is not necessary. But if faith is essential, then we have to begin to abandon the view that obedience and works are not essential. Some people just think that, hey, I, somewhere back there I gave my life to Jesus and I don't need to obey him. I don't need to do the works that he told me to do because I'm a Christian. No, if you love him, you'll obey him. John 6, 29 says, answered the question, what shall we do that we might do the works of God? What must we do? What should we do in obedience to God's command? 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I'm gonna close. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, God is, the work of the Lord is the work that we abound in. It's what we're abounding in. What is the work of the Lord? It's to labor for Jesus, leading people to Christ by faith. Now, faith is entirely a work that God does for you and I. If it's something that God does, many people mistake that scripture. They said, for you are saved by grace through faith and that is not of yourself. It's the free gift of God. Folks, the grace is available to you. The gift of faith is available to you, but you must Make the choice. You must activate your faith. It's up to you to obey. And that's how faith works. Some people believe that God causes some to believe and others not to believe. This makes God a respecter of persons. And it's a contradiction of his word. So John 6.29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. See, faith is something we do, folks. Obedience is something we do. Faith is essential to salvation, not only for us, but for those that we're leading to Christ. Obedience is essential to forgiveness. And, it's, and obedience is essential to our continued walk with Jesus Christ. The way you got saved is the way that you stay saved and the way you will be saved.
The word saved is a word sozo. And it's in a tense that we don't have in the English language. It's called the, I think it's called the present perfect participle. I forget how it's, but what it simply means is that it, that the word sozo means that you were saved, you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. It has all that connotation. But how are you saved? You're saved by faith. And what is faith? It's tied to our obedience to do what God told us to do. How on earth do you think we can go before a righteous throne of God one day and those who call themselves sheep and those who are sinners come to the altar and God says, and, and the sinners say, God, you can't let those people into the kingdom because they're doing the same things that we're doing. Because we didn't obey him. The grace of God is to help you to overcome sin. The grace of God is there to change you so that you are no longer acting and living by the constraints of this world, by the sins of this world, under the power of the prince of the power of the air. It's to keep you from being bound up in death, fear of death. But we must do it by obedience. We must do it by faith. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.